even just reading it, he had trouble. Okay, so what about us who are trying to work our way through it and understand it? Okay, let me tell you a temptation that some of us might have. The temptation that some of us might have is we come to a passage like this and we think, okay, okay this is this is for the clever people or this is for the more mature people or this is for the pastor or for the Bible study leader to understand. So we we come and we think it's difficult and it, it is difficult. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But the temptation is that we put our brains on pause. We check out the thinking because we think it is too difficult. But you see, if we keep doing this, then where will there be Christians in the church who are mature? Where will we find mature Christians? If every one of us, when we come to a difficult passage, difficult idea, difficult doctrine, we just go, okay, okay, that's, 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 that's for pastor to understand. And if there's no mature people in the church, then when the kids grow up or when new Christians join the church, where would they look to for guidance? Where would they look to for someone to apply these truths that they have not only just understood, but they have worked through in their lives and they can say, come, let me, let me show you, let me teach you. Where will people find help in that way if none of us seek to, okay, God, this is difficult, but please help us, okay? Uh, I know you have given us this word and you have meant it for all of us. And so, God, please help me to do my best to grapple with this. I, I won't be able to understand everything, but I trust that in your grace, through this opportunity now to study this passage, you will grant light. You will grant illumination. You will lead me forward one more step so that as I keep doing this, God, you will cause me to be one who is not just growing up, still needing milk, but you will progress me on to meat solid food. So I just want to urge us, please, I will do my best to try and explain this as clearly and as simply and as faithfully as I can. But you, you must do your best in leaning upon God to say, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out my hand. I'm going to grab and hold on to as much as I can because I need this. Okay, I'm convinced we all need, not just to understand intellectually, but to really see what this passage is saying. Okay, so please, let's, let's work together, trusting in God, that He would lead us forward, He would grant us understanding and maturity. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we don't want to be cafeteria Christians where we just come and we just pick and choose the things that are simple, the things that we like from your word. But Father, we want to be faithful. We want to grow in maturity. We want to be those who trust you, not looking only to our strength, our gifts, but looking in you, looking to you to give all that we need. So Father, please help us as we come to this passage that you would 
do the work that only you can do. Please, please bring this truth to our hearts. Help us to see, as we've never seen before, grasping more of what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus, that we may trust him more fully and completely. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, is, is it working okay? Or should I turn it off? The... Huh? Use this one, huh? Okay. Okay, I'll just keep it on. Okay. Um, look at your bulletin. You will see that there are three points. And the three points correspond to the structure in the passage. Okay, so take a look at verse 12 where Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Okay, pay attention to the first words. He says, just as. Okay, so Paul is here beginning a comparison. So just as, now you expect a just as to be followed by a, a so also. Right, that's the way we use this language. Just as. Um, Nicholas has double eyelids, so also Ruel has double eyelids. Right? That's the way we use it. But you'll see in verse 12 that Paul doesn't have a so also. Because what he does there is he breaks off the comparison. He begins talking about Adam, just as Adam, da 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 da. And then when he comes to the end of verse 12, he has to stop. Okay, he has to stop because he has to fill in the information, tell us other things first before he resumes the comparison. And so you see in your outline, you have just as Adam, verses 12 to 14, and then in 15 to 17, not like Adam. Because one of the things that Paul will do before he resumes the contrast is he he wants to say, okay, okay, it's not like this, it's not like this. Okay, It's a bit like comparing Hitler with LKY. I mean, Singaporeans, you go, what? And so, a person who begins a comparison with Hitler, and okay, before he finishes the comparison, he must say, okay, okay, I'm not talking about this or this or this or this. Okay, so he's qualifying it in verses 15 to 17. Okay, is that, is that okay so far? And then he resumes the contrast, the comparison in verse 18. So that's why you can see there in the outline, it becomes just as Adam, then not like Adam, because he wants to say, okay, okay, I'm not talking about how they are similar in these ways. Then in verse 18, so also Christ. So you just take a look at uh, verse 18. You can see that there he resumes the comparison. Because in verse 18 he says, consequently, just as, okay, see he's beginning the comparison again, just as one trespass, resulted in condemnation for all people. So also, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as, see, just as, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. See, he resumes the comparison in verse 18 and 19. And the comparison he wants to make is that just as Adam, one man, one action affected many. So also Christ, one man, 
one action affected many. Okay, that is the structure, that's the building block in this passage. Okay, that's just a comparison he's making. One, many. One affecting many. Okay, so let's go back to verse 12 and we see what Paul says there about Adam. So therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. So this one man is Adam. And how did sin enter the world? Because Adam disobeyed God. He ate of the fruit. Yes, in the story, it was Eve that took it first, but Adam had the responsibility. He was the one who was hit, and so it was his responsibility to obey God, and he did not. Now, you must understand that it is more than just, oh, you know, some random tree, you know, God just said, okay, okay, I just want to test whether Adam and Eve love me or not, so I'll just draw a circle in the in the ground. I said, okay, don't go into the circle. You know, and then if the child goes in, it shows that, oh, the child doesn't obey you. If the child doesn't go in, oh, this is a good child. No, it's not something random and you know, neutral like that. There was something to the tree of good and evil. Because Adam and Eve, in eating from the tree, were in fact saying, I'm not going to listen to you, God, to tell me what is good and what is wrong. I will eat of this tree and I will decide what is now good and what is now wrong. So they were attempting to take God's place. So that's why that one act of disobedience was so serious. It was trying to push God away, out from his rightful place. So this one act by Adam, what did it result in? Through his one act, sin entered the world. And because sin has entered the world, now death, physical death and spiritual death has become the reality of our world. Now you see, because of that one action, now death has come into the world. Why has death come into the world? Because, look at the end of verse 12, all sin. Okay, all sin. Now what does Paul mean by all sinned here. Now, for many years, I thought Paul meant because of Adam, we became sinners. And so I now have a sinful nature. And so because I now have a sinful nature, I sin. And so because I sin, I will bear the penalty of physical death and spiritual death on my life because I have now sinned. Okay, now I've come to see that that's not an adequate explanation of the passage. Because what Paul is saying here is not so much that Adam made me a sinner and therefore because I sin, I now deserve death. Rather, because of Adam, we all sinned. Because of Adam, we all sinned. Okay, now, there is... Uh, let me tell you why this is important. Okay, because, okay, I need to come down. Oh no, I can't come down anymore because this doesn't work. Okay, never mind. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just do the hands thing, okay. Okay, because you saw the comparison, right? The comparison. One man, Adam, affected many. And then Christ, his one action also affected many. Now, we have been going through Romans and we are familiar, which I should, should be, with the action 
that through Christ now affects many. Because of his righteous obedience, how has it affected us? We are now justified. We have become declared righteous. Okay, so back to Adam. So if it's Adam now affects many, and we are made sinners, meaning that we become sinners and therefore we sin, and then we deserve death, it means that the parallel for Christ has to be Christ, because of his action, now we are declared righteous, and we are declared righteous because we do righteous deeds. You see, we become sinners, and because we sin, we do sinful deeds, and then we deserve death. So if the parallel is to hold, then through the action of Christ, who declares us righteous, we still have to do the righteous deeds before we obtain God's salvation. Now, Paul has argued conclusively that it is not by what we do. What we receive by faith, the verdict of justified, declared righteous, we receive by faith, not according to works, not by what we do. Okay, so, okay, let me say it again. So therefore, it has to be through Adam, his one sin. Now, the people affected by him are all sinners. We have all sinned. We have been imputed. We have been credited his sinfulness. And Christ, because of his righteousness, his one act, now we have been credited his righteousness. So it means that when all sinned, when Paul says all sinned, it is not that I have sinned and therefore I deserve. No, in Adam, I have sinned. Okay, well, let me try and illustrate this. What Paul is saying here is that Adam is our representative. Now, our our temptation or our instinct at this point is to go, Ah, Adam, I didn't ask for him to be my representative. You know, I could have done a better job than Adam. Okay, but let me let me try and get across this idea of having a representative is something that is not that alien for us. Why? Because the recent elections, we elected representatives. And these representatives will make up the government. And let's say, you know, down, down the line, something happens and our government has to declare war. Okay, on some nation, you know, or maybe they invite, invade us first or whatever. Our representatives have to declare war. You see, when the people we have chosen to be our representatives declare war, we are at war. Right? When they have chosen, okay, we now declare war on this country, we are at war. We cannot go, okay, you know, I'm still going to go to that country, and then you go there, and they go, hey, hey, it was, it was they who declared war. I didn't, I didn't. No, that won't work. They will still capture you, and you'll be a POW. Something like that, right? When our representatives take an action, it affects us. So we might say, okay, okay, that's fine, but that's because I elected these people to be my representatives. So, you know, whatever they decide, okay, I mean, I, I have to bear it because I chose them. But I didn't choose Adam. 
And so it's unfair that what he did, now I got to bear the consequences. Now, do you think that you could have done a better job than Adam? Okay, maybe, maybe none of us here would think we've done a better job, but maybe we'll think, okay, maybe we could have chosen someone better. Uh, and he could be our representative. Now, if you're thinking that, then you're coming close to understanding what is happening here. Because Adam as our representative, guess who chose him to be our representative? It wasn't us with flawed thinking and limited knowledge who chose Adam. It was God. God who knew everything, who is good, who chose Adam to be our representative. But not just chose Adam. God created our representative. He created the perfect, if you like, representative for us. We could not have chosen better. We could not have done better. It's just like if another church challenged us, okay? And then the winner uh, gets to occupy this new building. Okay? This church challenge us, okay? See who, who gets to occupy this building. And of course we don't fight, okay? We are civilized Christians. But the, the challenge is who can complete five kilometers cross country? Okay? Definitely we are not going to send Shirley. Right? To be our representative. Right, Shirley, we're not going to send you. We will choose our best. We will send Kaosun Tay. Right? Who, if you didn't know, uh, for many years represented his school. He was a 5km cross-country champion. So we will send our best. Okay? And because we know we have sent our best, if Carlson loses, we wouldn't go, ah, Carlson, what happened to you? Now we can't occupy that building. I could have done a better job. No. We, we cannot do a better job than Carlson at running. And so in Adam, God created our perfect representative. And he sinned. And so what happens to him is now credited to us. We have sinned. Now we may want to fight against this teaching, but I warn you, if you don't like this principle of how one can affect many, Then when we come to the second part of the contrast, where Paul tells us Christ, his one obedient life, his one righteous act, can now affect many as well. Then what are you going to do when you come to that? No, it is actually good news that there is this principle in God where one can be the representative for many. Because there is good news. Because... None of us, there is no human being that could have done a better job than Adam. Any one of us in Adam's shoes, we would have sinned, we would have fallen as well. But this same principle of one affecting many, now in Christ, God sending his own son. Where Adam, the best of us, could only fight sin for so long, but eventually fail. This God-man came and he fought. 
So he fought sin and he knew the power of sin that none of us will do. You know why? Because when we fight sin, we fight and then we give in. So you never actually know the full strength, the full power of sin. But Jesus, in order to be sinless, he had to fight sin all the way. He alone knows the full power of sin. And in fighting sin, he remained completely sinless, completely obedient. He fought it to the end. He alone knows the true power of sin. And his righteousness can be credited to those who receive His grace. So this is a glorious principle. Because none of us can do better than Adam, but God has provided one, His own Son. And by His righteousness, we can all be credited righteous. So Paul comes to the end of verse 12, where he says, All sin... And in verse 13 and 14, he has to explain in what way all sin. And so 13 to 14, he talks about the situation before the law. And he says, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. See? If God hasn't given a law, then God will not charge anyone for breaking you know, the law that he will in the future give. Because he hasn't given the law. Sin is not charged. Huh? If sin is not charged, then are the people who were alive between Adam and Moses, were they sinners? Did they sin? Yes, they sin, but sin is not charged against them because they haven't, they don't know the law. But why does Paul say then? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. The law hasn't been given, and because the law hasn't been given, whatever they do, sin cannot be charged to their account. And yet there is death. Death which is the due penalty for sinners. There is death, why? Because in Adam, all, all, all sin, even before the law was given, all sin really. The judgment that was given to Adam is the judgment and the condemnation now given to all who are in him. And that's all of us. Paul goes on now in 15 to 17 to talk about the difference. And I've said really right, why Paul has to do this? Because he's comparing like Hitler with LKY. I mean, it's like if I say, my wife is like a water buffalo. I mean, I gotta qualify that. I gotta, I gotta, no, 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 no. I don't mean that she looks like a water buffalo or smells like a water buffalo. When I say, just like a water buffalo, so also my wife, I don't mean the way she looks or the way she smells. I'm saying she is strong and dependable like a water buffalo. So you see, uh, I have to qualify first. And so Paul here, <laughs> Wait, there's, there's something happening over there. Oh, Maria, you're here. Okay. If I knew you were here, I wouldn't use the illustration. Uh, okay, so she's strong and dependable, like a water buffalo. 
And so before Paul completes the comparison, he tells us all the ways in which he does not mean they are the same. And so verse 15, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Now that is a complicated sentence. Okay, It would help if we focus on the words, how much more? Okay, so just, just, just dwell on that one. How much more? Because Paul here wants to establish how much more of Jesus. The how much more. And it is a how much more. There's another repeated word or word group in that sentence. And it is that of grace. See how many times he uses the word grace. How many times he uses the word gift. How much more grace, gift. Now, in what way is what Jesus did the how much more? Okay, because you see what Adam did. See, verse 15. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man. So through one man, it resulted in many dying. Now, this is something that would be natural. This is something that is uh, according to justice right when there is one trespass it has the consequence of this i mean it's it's just like gravity you let go of something it falls down you know you release water it will flow down the stream okay It, it it goes naturally through one trespass yes it causes all these bad things and ends up with death but how much more how much more how much more grace how much more gift that what God has done is not, if you like, natural. He's not going according to justice. It is according to grace. How much more grace? What happened with Adam, that's like, you let go of a brick, it falls down. That's what happens. That's what you expect to happen. It's like if I come and I slap you a few times, what I expect is that you'll be unhappy with me. See, what Adam did, there was a natural consequence. It flowed. It was according to the principles of justice. But how much more, how much more grace, how much more gift, what God did in overturning that. And we see that in verse 16 as well. Verse 14, sorry. Verse verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Okay, what was the result of one man's sin? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So through Adam's sin, God judged that. And because he was our representative, it brought condemnation. There was the judgment leading to punishment that we all were under. Okay, so that was what one trespass brought. But see, the gift followed many trespasses. The gift followed many trespasses. What Adam did, he sinned in a perfect world. And because he was a representative, it affected us all. And because it affected us all, we all trespass. I mean, just think, 
just this week, how many times you and I have sinned. Just think, not just us, but our whole lives and everyone who has ever lived. I mean, the amount of trespass that has been chalked up ever since Adam. And ever since Moses came with the law, how much more the trespass has increased. I mean, it was in a perfect world. Adam was perfect. Garden of Eden, he sinned. Okay, he brought condemnation. But the condemnation resulted in all of us trespassing. Sin upon sin upon sin upon sin upon sin, just chalking up. But the gift comes into this picture, this reality of the whole world and everyone full of sin, record book after record book of our sin, the gift comes into this picture and brings justification. I mean, it's just like, you know, an avalanche. You know, some hiker, he makes too much noise or dis, you know disturbs the, the 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 landscape and then the avalanche comes and then the whole village at the bottom is wiped out i mean that's that's you know the that's gravity that's what happened when you allow the avalanche to happen but christ comes into this picture where there's been so much destruction and he reverses it he reverses it he brings all the snow back up and the, the village is restored i mean it is much harder after all the destruction, to reverse it. But Christ comes into this picture where all our trespasses reach the heavens already. He comes, the gift comes into this picture and brings justification. Another difference, verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Through Adam, death reign. In Christ, life reigns. Correct? Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say that. Okay, look at it, look at it. In Adam, death reigns. Okay, that one is correct. But when he comes to Christ, he does not say life reigns. Who does he say actually reign? It is those who have received. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign. It is those who have received who will reign. In Adam, death reigns. Because of him, all sin and therefore all deserve Death. But now in Christ, it is not life that reigns. He actually says, it is we who have received that gift. We who will reign. You see, under the kingship of sin, there's only death. But when Christ is king, we become kings with him. I mean, that's the picture uh, in Revelation 3.21 as well, where Jesus says to those who have overcome, to those who have overcome, now, that's Revelation's way of saying those who have genuinely received the gift. So in Revelation 3.21, Jesus says those who have overcome, 
I grant that you will sit with me on my throne. The same throne that I am on with my father. It is, it is a thought, it is a picture that I think some of us, we are too scared to even take hold of. But in chapter 4, he said, right, Abraham will inherit the world and his descendants will inherit the world. And so those who have received will actually reign. We will be co-heirs with Christ. We will sit with him on his throne. It is all Ours. Okay, you don't look very happy that uh, this, if you are a genuine, faithful believer, that this is your destiny, that you would reign. Okay, maybe it seems too good to be true. But this is where we really have to ask God for help. That what He's telling us, okay, we we try our best, we, we do our best, we see and we grapple with this, we wrestle with this until we make headway. And he's telling us amazing truths. Through Adam, death reigns. But now in Christ, we will be kings and queens together with Jesus sitting on the same throne as God the Father. If that's the case, then why are we so eager to grab on and hold on to things of this world now instead of living for Christ more fully? So that's the difference. Now he comes to 18 to 21. So also Christ. And as I've said, verse 18 to 19 tell us it's a principle. What's similar between them? One affects many. One affects many. Focus on verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were, what does it say? Made. They were made sinners. So also, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. See, we need to be made sinners in the same way that we are made righteous. That's why I say it is Adam as our representative. Because of his disobedience, we were made sinners. It doesn't matter whether we had a chance to sin or not. We were made sinners. And so just as then in Christ, we were made righteous. And it is not about us doing the righteous deeds. Because he made us righteous. He credited his righteousness to us. Now I want you to focus on one word there. He says there, through the obedience, the obedience of the one man. Now this is, this is a word to glory in. Because why? If Christ was not obedient, if there was any iota of sin in him, all this falls flat. Because he then becomes unrighteous. And he cannot make us righteous. But it is because he has been fully, completely obedient, fully, completely righteous, that he can, through this principle, one affecting many, make us righteous. And so when we 
hear or we read anything of Jesus' life, when we see him responding, speaking, working, we see a perfect man. Right? I mean, you look through, you flip through the pages of the gospel, we see perfect man walking, talking, doing things. Now, when you see that happening, you must go, yes! Yes! I mean, it's just like, it's just like when you're, the football team that you support, when they buy and make a really good investment and they buy a really good player and you see that player performing on the pitch, you know, winning for your team, you go, yes! And so when we see Jesus at every point, in every instance, obeying, at every point, at every instance, he is perfectly righteous. We go, yes! Because that obedience, that righteousness is credited to us. It is because of that that we can be made righteous. Our representative, perfectly obedient, perfectly righteous, and so therefore we can be credited with His. And then in verse 20 and 21, Paul explains what happens when the law comes in. 13 and 14, before the law, now 20, 21, after the law. What happens with the giving of the law? Well, he says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. With the law coming, God now gives clear lines, clear boundaries. And so when we cross those lines, cross those boundaries, the guilt is even more serious because now there's a clear line. It's just like a, a hiker. If the guy is hiking and then it's in the dark, you know, he can't see, and then he finds himself on someone else's estate. What has he done? He has trespassed. Has he sinned against the owner by entering the land? Yes, he has. But he could say, oh no, it was, it was dark, I couldn't see the, the, the boundary lines. Okay, you have trespassed, but okay, okay, you know, never mind, fine, fine, fine. But if it was broad daylight, and then the hiker sees, oh look, there's a rabbit there, I can catch it, and then he blatantly crosses the line. He has trespassed. And so with the coming of the law, trespass increased, sin increased, Guilt increase, but where the trespass increase, what does it say? Okay, what is grace increased all the more? It's just like I'm sure none of you want to do this, huh? But it's just like if for whatever reason you want to break up a couple, okay? A married couple, you want to break them up, you want to get them to divorce. So you know what you do is you. Maybe you set a honey trap, okay? And you get, you know, the most handsome hunk you can hire and you try to get the hunk to seduce the wife. And then you, you try and catch... Now, like I said, I'm sure none of you will do this, okay? But this is just an illustration, okay? So, so when, you, when you catch the hunk seducing the wife and you catch the wife in a compromising, you know, position, you, you know, you take pictures and then you show it to the husband, now, your attempts to break up the couple 
will always fail if the husband is willing to always forgive. Where trespass increased, grace increased all the more. So that there can be no way you break up the couple. But you might ask, where got, where got husband so good one? Is there such a husband? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus Christ. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. No matter what you do, there will be grace to cover that sin. No matter what happens, there will be grace to cover all of that trespass. And so this is the reality that the one man has now brought in. So Paul concludes verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see the language of sin reigning, death reigning, grace reigning. Okay, scholars have helpfully helped us to see that Paul is talking about two different realms. With Adam, Adam, his disobedience, he has instituted, he has inaugurated a realm, a realm where sin and death reigns. And all of us, because he was our representative, because he was the first human, all of us belong inside that realm. We live in that reality where sin reigns, where death reigns. But now in Christ, because of his obedience, he has now inaugurated a new realm, a new reality, a reality, a realm where life, grace, righteousness reign instead of sin and death. So can you picture it? Adam, there's this realm, sin, death. In Christ, he has now launched another realm, a completely different realm, where life, grace, righteousness rule instead. Now why, why is Paul doing this? Why is he telling us all this? Why is he making our brains hurt? Why is he making pastors who preach through Romans always have this difficult job of going through this passage and then, you know, have, have to make fun of my wife as a water buffalo as well to, to try and keep you awake, keep you engaged? Well, go back to verse 12. And you see the word, therefore. Right at the beginning of verse 12, therefore. And you always have to ask what the therefore is there. Four. Now you might remember chapter 5, 1 to 11. Okay? Chapter 5, 1 to 11, talking about people who have already been justified. Now that you have been justified, what can you hope for? You can hope for the glory of God. And how, how certain, how much assurance should you have that now that you've been justified, you will make it to the end. You will receive the glory of God. Chapter 5, 1 to 11, its purpose is to tell us if you have received it by faith, you have been justified, you can be very, 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 very certain that you will indeed make it to the end, receive what God has promised. 
Because if God has already done that when you were his enemy, now you've been reconciled, how much more will he make you, get you to the end? And you'll be saved. You will receive this hope. So chapter 5, 1 to 11 is about assurance. About giving Christians assurance. So why does he begin chapter 5, verse 12 with, Therefore, because now, instead of just talking about assurance from an individual perspective, if you have been justified, okay, then you have peace, you have grace. You know, instead of just talking about what's happening with us individually, Paul in chapter 5, 12 to 21, he is stepping back. Okay? He's stepping back. And he steps back not just to look at the whole church. He steps back not just to look at, you know, the whole nation. He steps back and he gives us a cosmic view. All that's happening behind the scenes. What is the reality now? How can one man, are you sure just one man's death can do all this? But I'm so sinful. I've done all this. I mean, how can one man's death really deal with my sin and make sure that I, I, I might not do something that's so bad down the road that you know I always lost. How can one man's death, one man's action really do all this? And so Paul steps back and he gives us the cosmic view. Just as in Adam, we all sin. So now in Christ, those who have received will be declared righteous. Grace, how much more grace, grace, grace of this new realm because Christ has instituted a new reality. And so what, what is the effect of this passage? The effect of this passage is you must be assured. You must not look at your own works. You must not look at your failings and be, oh, you know, I, I can't make it as a Christian. No, this passage is to give us great assurance because the devil, the devil always likes to come beside you and especially when you have messed up. And especially when you have messed up in that same area again. The devil comes and the devil likes to say, Hey, you call yourself Christian. Huh? Huh? You, 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 and you still want to go to a Bible study? Huh? You think you are fit to serve on this committee? The devil comes and the devil is always seeking to drive a wedge between God and us. But God is saying, because of my son, what he has done, there is this new reality. And if you are in that reality, if you have received it by faith, then no matter how much your sin may increase, no matter what you do, can you get it through? No matter what you do, Grace super increases to cover it. Now at this point, there will be people who will be uncomfortable. Hey, why? If you push that too hard, then aren't you giving people a license to sin? I mean, if you, if you tell them no matter what you do, there will be enough grace to cover it. I mean, aren't you giving people a license to sin? Now, if you just look at the next verse, in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul will deal with that. Okay, so don't worry, we'll get to that. Okay, two weeks time when we preach on chapter 6, we will deal with that and Paul will say, no, 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 of course, this is not about having a license to sin. But I want to say to you, if you don't 
understand the gospel to this point where you're convinced that no matter what you do, no matter how bad you fall, no matter how black your sin is, there will be enough grace to cover it. You have not understood the gospel. It brings me so much grief when I meet Christians. Christians who are turning away from Christ because they feel that they've done something that is too bad. I'm not talking about some imaginary person. I have talked to people from this church. There are some people that you don't see here regularly anymore. And why? Because they feel that they've done something that's so bad, they, they, they now say, okay, I can't, I can't appear before God. I can't, I, I can't bring myself to come into the presence of His people. See, that is someone who has not understood the gospel. Someone who has not seen what the how much more of grace and the gift that is now in Christ Jesus. So no matter how much sin increases, grace super increases to cover it. No matter what you do. Okay, get it, get it. Get it. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, Okay, as long as you are trusting in Christ, you, your verdict of righteous stands. Your verdict of righteous stands. If this is a verdict you have received in the past, this is your verdict that is with you. You, ca- you cannot get better on righteous. The verdict that you have already been given, if you have received it by faith, you cannot do better. You will not go to heaven and then God gives you, okay, now you, now you made it to heaven, now you are super righteous. No, there's no such thing. The verdict that we have been given is as good as it's gonna get and we have, we have by faith been given that verdict because of the one man's obedience. Those who have received it are now declared righteous. So be assured. Stand on Christ. Stand solely on Him. And if you, if you see, if you have been brought to a deeper understanding of what Christ has done for you, the magnitude of the work He has done, then worship Christ. Worship Him. It is through Him, through that one man now, Jesus Christ, that all this can be for us. God help us. Amen.